Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. Now, what is that Kingdom of God? Is it spiritual? Is it physical? Well, you're physical. You're spiritual. Uh, so, therefore, the Kingdom of God must be physical and spiritual. I mean, Jesus said it was for the living, not for the dead. So, the reality is it was at hand it was something that we were to strive for, seek for, persevere. It was the right to be ruled by God. I just saw a clip from a uh, TV show uh, where this guy is asked uh, what makes America the greatest country in the world. And then he goes to this long tirade about the fact that it's not the greatest country in the world. And uh, he said it used to be. And he says, freedom... And he lists off all these other countries that have freedom. Canada has freedom. Belgium, Australia, all these countries have freedom. Well, they have an element of freedom. But none of those countries are free countries. They're free people. All those people are subject people. The United States is full of subject people. They, they have to contribute by contract to their government. And their government gets to decide how much they're going to give. It can take 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, 90% of all your labor. And it's actually predicted by the government. Uh, the head of the accounting office says that, uh, you know, by the year 2000, I think it was 20 or 25, that the chi any child born would be responsible for ninety paying in over 90% of their labor throughout their lifetime to the government. They will be in debt so that they have to work 90% of their day for the government. So, no, none of those countries are free countries. There are no free countries in the world today. If you refer to a country as a political subdivision where people are members of that political subdivision. And it's getting worse. And so, yeah, America is not the... It actually, it could be the greatest country to some degree. It depends on how you determine what is great. And there's a lot of talk today of making America great again as a country, I guess. America is kind of a nondescript term. Canada is part of America, North America, Mexico. Uh, there's Central America, South America. Uh, the United States is a political subdivision and there are millions of millions of people here in America that are part of that political subdivision. There are many that are part of Canada. And there are some that are really not a part of anybody uh, as far as political subdivisions. But when Christ came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, was he talking about a political subdivision? When he says kingdom of God. He said he was going to take the kingdom away from the people who had it at that particular time, which was consisted of Pharisees and Sadducees and even Zealots, which are literally political parties of that time with religious overtones. But you have political parties today that have religious overtones. But the reality is, is that he said, I was going to take that kingdom, that political subdivision, away from you and give it to another that would bear fruit. And then he even tells his apostles, who he refers to as his little flock, that he's going to take the kingdom 
that they was going to it was his pleasure to appoint unto them that that kingdom which he was taking away from this other political subdivision. I mean, people at that time were elected to office in Judea. Their Congress was known as the Sanhedrin. Uh, their main government building was the temple in Jerusalem. That wasn't some church on the street corner. That was a government building. Government records were kept in that building. Uh, they had more government records than before. This is what the, why they needed scribes. Scribes were accountants, keeping account of people. They talk about uh, these uh, things like Cummins. And, uh, you know, the, the, those, uh, kind of spices that, uh, were literally taxed by the government and kept track of by the scribes. If you had that plant even just growing in your window, obviously there were people who did it commercially, but if you just grew that particular plant in your window, they would come up and count the branches and they would know how much you would owe because that was determined by the Sanhedrin. When somebody came to Peter and says, does your master pay the tax? The mere idea that there is that question was that some of the people were not registered in this tax system. Because he wanted to know, does your master, is your master one of those people who are registered and must pay the tax? Peter at first said yes, and Jesus pulled him aside and told him that he misspoke. Who, who owes the tax? Who must pay the tax? Because, see, Jesus was a unique status in the country. And there were other people like that, but his was unique in the fact that he was not only separate from that world that was being created by men like Herod the Great, now who had passed, but yet no one sat on the throne in Jerusalem. And uh, he also was the rightful heir, the highest son of David, to that government, to that political subdivision. Which gave him the power, which we see, if we go back to the Old Testament, gave him the power to fire the money changers. To make a string whip and say, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired. Because they were, they were actually collecting a tax and, and it had to be paid in a certain kind of coin, so therefore there was a money changing going on. And they had turned the sacrifice of the temple into, uh, mindless blood rituals. Uh, one of the largest religious groups of the day, not necessarily the majority, because there was no majority. The people were so scattered. So many different diverse ideas. Uh, but this large religious group spoke Hebrew. And uh, they did not participate in the animal sacrifice in the temple. They studied the Torah. But they knew that this animal sacrifice, killing sheep by the thousands, killing doves for those who couldn't afford the sheep and uh, all these, uh, you know, uh, letting of blood rituals was not what the Old Testament was talking about. They knew that was not what it was saying in the Hebrew. Yet they spoke Hebrew. They read Hebrew. They were considered some of the most studied people. They, uh, their libraries were extensive. Yet they came to a different conclusion than the modern Christian and the modern Jew comes to when they read the Bible. I just saw pictures yesterday 
of uh, a Jewish, uh, evidently a soldier probably in Israel, uh, standing there reading from his Torah. And, uh, you know, it looks like a little Bible. And it's consisting of the Torah and the Old Testament. And uh, he's reading from it. And he has a leather thong wrapped around his arm. Tightly around his arm. Going up. Wrapped in circles around his arm. Up to, eventually up to his forehead. Where he has a box strapped on his forehead. Uh, and that's a phylactery in in the... Uh, uh, Greek language, and and that and we'll talk about that. What what was he doing? What they had done is they had unmoored information that could be called a ritual and a ceremony from its purpose and meaning. Some of the purpose and meaning was still there, but they had turned it into a physical ritual where you actually wrap a leather thong around your arm and then up to a box and you put it on your forehead. And there's a couple of quotes in the Bible that uh, talk to us about, you know, it's where they get this uh, idea of wrapping this leather thong. But it doesn't really talk specifically about a leather thong and a leather box and a scripture in it. I mean, the language just isn't that clear. But yet, that's what they've turned it into. What were they really telling them? Well, they were telling them something quite different than what you see people doing when you see them doing that. And it's it's a common thing that you'll see often. You'll, uh, I should put more pictures up of people doing it back then and today. Yet, it's not what that was really all about. And the animal sacrifice that we see or hear about or they talk to us about... The red heifer wasn't really what we imagine or picture in our minds today or draw pictures of. They were telling us about something else. And we've written about this. It it has to do with sophistry, changing the meaning of words. Or, well, one of the things about Hebrew is that words can have multiple meanings. They usually have an abstract meaning and a physical meaning. Like the word honor is the same word for liver. And stones, you know, a gathering of stones is, can actually mean a gathering of men. And so you you start putting those ideas together and you can turn the Bible to mean almost anything. And what happens is that they get people fulfilling mindless rituals and they no longer understand what the ritual really meant, what it was really telling us. So in, in today's shows and... Uh, Maybe this will extend out. We're going to be talking about spiritual journey. And uh, and we're all on a spiritual journey. And we're on that spiritual journey in a physical world. And the Bible is a spiritual book talking about the Spirit of God. I mean, the, one of the first places we see the verse Spirit of God is in Exodus. But they talk about the Spirit of God. In creation, that his spirit was upon the waters. And and that spirit is a creative force that actually holds the universe together. If you, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take a look at some of those quotes. Uh, 
Well, let's start with uh, this word psychosis. We talked about it in earlier shows. And it's a very interesting Greek word. And, of course, we don't have any psychosis, do we? Because, I mean, a psychosis is what they call a severe mental disorder. Well, a mental disorder is a question of perspective. It's a severe mental disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with external reality. Well, that's just about everybody in the world. But you will not diagnose everybody that way because some people have a different perception of reality and uh, you can have a distorted or... uh, Uh, obstructed understanding of the external reality, but it's an acceptable one. You know, like for instance, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Very fundamental thing in the Bible. Ten commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy... You cannot desire your neighbor's goods. That is just... uh, Or do anything to obtain your neighbor's goods without his express agreement and... uh, you know, permission. That's just fundamental. It, it's in the Jewish Bible. I mean, it's even in the Quran. It's in, the, you know, the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible and King James Bible. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And they tell you not to covet in the New Testament and the Old. It's not, it's not exclusive to the Old Testament. Thou shalt not covet, period. If you want eternal life, you can't covet your neighbor's goods. Yet all those countries that were being listed off in that little clip that were free countries, those countries were all socialist countries. And socialism, by its very essence, but by the very definition of socialism, it's where everybody gets together and covets their neighbor's goods. What what would be proper to belong to your neighbor? If you if you built something, it's yours. Right? You made it. You, you, you worked. You, maybe you grew a tree. And then you cut it up and made wood out of it. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, lumber. And then you took that lumber and you built yourself a house. And it was all with your labor. Well, that, that's your house. Right? Well, in a socialist society, no. You have to pay money to the rest of society even for the permission to build the house. Well, that's because the rest of society covets your goods, your labor, your sweat, your toil. They covet it. They want a portion of everything you make. They want to share in your efforts. Not in doing them. They just want to make you share what you have by force with them. You know, there was an old story where uh, actually this actually played out in my own life. My my oldest son asked me when he was eight years old, "What's taxes?" And uh, he wanted to know what property tax was. I says, "Well, if you build a house, uh, you will have to pay money. If you buy some land, you'll have to pay money to the government to keep that land. And if you build a house on that land," 
then you've improved the property and you'll have to pay more money to the government. And of course, you're paying it to the government because it's going to provide benefits for your neighbor with that money. Supposedly, you know, like school and cemetery plot and maybe a fire department, maybe police department. And they're going to provide services to your neighbor. And the more you improve the property you have, the more you will have to pay in. You know, and then he asked, what's welfare? And he says, well, if you don't work, if you don't, you know, produce anything. And so, therefore, you'll go hungry if you, because you don't have any, you're not working. Then the government will give you some of that money that they took from your neighbor. In the form of food stamps or welfare or whatever. And he didn't think that was right. He said that he, to him that didn't make sense. He just, he never knew. You know, and I, I didn't tell him on a prejudice. I just told him the mechanics of it. Uh, because we were in the process of expanding our own house. We were putting a, something on our house, building it up. And so we were going to have to pay more taxes. And so he wanted to know what that property tax was. Because we were curious ourselves how much this would in, increase our property tax. Because we didn't know. Because we didn't decide. Because we're not a free country. Somebody else decides for us. If it was a free country, you'd decide how much you were going to give to the government. Now, people, that's so foreign to people. They can't even imagine that kind of government where you decide how much you're going to give in. To the government. And to and to what members of that government you were going to give to. Now you said, well I really like this candidate for the government. And so I'm going to support him in his office. Now you just don't have that choice. You know, you can, you can maybe pay into his campaign. But... You know, what you pay his salary and what the funds you give him to do whatever he does. You don't have any choice over that. You have a collective choice because you're a democracy. And the United States is a democracy in a republic. That's what it says. That's what it says in its creed. That it's a democracy within a republic. And that's always the case. We go into that in other places. But... What what happens is we can't see the covetous nature of the system that we have created or allowed to be created in our midst. And that system can take and take and take and take and take. And of course, if you go read Samuel 8, which was extensively quoted in um, Common Sense by uh, Payne, that uh, that uh, that is what is happening today because we've made government king in America and Canada, Australia, Belgium, all those countries that were mes- mentioned. And those are all socialist countries with socialist governments. Christ did not come preaching a socialist government. He came preaching the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God operates through free will offerings because his purpose was to return every man to his possessions and every man to his family. And so now you were responsible for your family and the taking care of your family. But occasionally families need help. But that in a free country that is done with free will offerings. It's done with charity. 
That's what old ancient Israel did. This is what their sacrifices were all about. Their korban, that's the word for sacrifice, was free will offerings. Because that changes the spirit by which the nation operates. The nation is a people. And Israel did it by free will offerings. They took care of one another. They paid ministers of their choosing. When they gave their votive offering to the minister of their choice, they were funding his part in the government, in a corporate government. The Levites were a corporate government. They didn't, they didn't own any inheritance except for the office of Levite. And they gathered together in, you know, gathering of men, gathering of stones. And they, they together worked as a team to provide the social welfare of society. You could even go to the Talmud and they will explain that that's what Corbin was. In the early church, the Corbanos was the poor box. That word for the poor box was Corbanos. And Jesus talks about the Corban of the Pharisees at the time that he was walking there was making the word of God to none effect. How would their sacrifice be making the word of God to none effect? Is because they had decided that it was okay to force that sacrifice. Now, they couldn't just force that sacrifice. They had to do something to obtain permission to do that. The people had to consent to the idea that the government could force your sacrifice. And so, you would have to sign up. You would have to register. And these, these documents of registration were kept in the temple. And there were copies kept in the local synagogues. And if you went to Rome, it was kept in the temple of Saturn. That's where they kept the records. That you had signed up for their public religion. The religion was how you, how you provided for one another. And, you know, for the needy of your society. That's what religion was. And that's what they were doing in these temples. And these temple systems, which were supported through their synagogues or their local congregations. You had to pay in it. And, and Gabbai and Molokai uh, ministers who were like tax collectors would come and make sure you paid your fair share. And they took care of the needy of society. They provided the services of government. But it wasn't through free will offerings anymore. It was through compelled offerings. It wasn't you having two coats and sharing one or doing the same with your food or whatever you were to give. Somebody on our network was suddenly saying there is no tithing anymore because that was all done away with when the stone temple was destroyed. That's ridiculous. Abraham was tithing. Israel was tithing long before anybody ever built a stone temple. Stone temple has nothing to do with tithing. It has to do with ten families sharing what they have for the good of the whole nation. But it's done through free will offerings. No Levites were kicking in doors to collect. But the spirit changed. And we're going to talk about how that spirit slowly changed so that nobody saw, nobody noticed when we returned to Keys of the Kingdom.
the keys of the kingdom were. So the key to the kingdom is to take the spiritual journey of Christ because you see the evil of the world is also taking you on a spiritual journey. It is taking you down spiritual paths because there are fallen spirits, fallen away from the identity of God, the character of God, the name of God. When we talk about the name of God, it's not Yahweh. The name of God is the character of God, the identity of God. The, the essence of his being. I mean, you were made in the image of God, but you could be remade in the image of evil. And that will bring disease and death and destruction and chaos. And that's what, of course, is happening. And what's happened is that we're all under a psychosis because we look at the external reality of our bondage and we call it freedom. That's psychosis. You do not... You know, you, your ability to see that you are not a free people is, is showing that you have lost the ability to perceive the, the external reality that you are now in bondage. I mean, the bondage of Egypt, 20% of everything you earned had to go to the government. All the gold and silver belonged to the government. I mean, there was still some around in circulation, but not as, uh, not where you could actually own it. You could have a legal title to it, but you didn't actually own it. That was the bondage of Egypt. And your children were born in that bondage so that they had to pay work and pay off the debt that you created when you went to the government and said, give us free food, give us bread. Our resources have dried up. We have no resources. Why did they have no resources? Because they had already rejected God when they cast their own brother into bondage. And so they themselves went into bondage. This principle you will see over and over again. We're going to talk about Indians, uh, modern uh, Aboriginal Indian descendants today, uh, often complain about manifest destiny as a terrible idea that was brought here to America by Europeans. That they thought they had the right just to come and force everybody into their system. Well, I will show you that in early Indian, before white men even came, early Indian governmental policies included manifest destiny. They had that idea first. Not that Europeans didn't have it over in Europe. But in America, they were the first ones to have that idea of manifest destiny. And, and we'll go through that. We'll, we'll take a look at their, uh, their own uh, constitution, which originally you know, was uh, contained in what they called wampum, uh, this beaded uh, uh, constitution full of symbols. But as it is interpreted today by those same Indians, those same Native Americans, they believed in manifest destiny until they became victims of that idea. And what is manifest destiny? It's the idea that you have the right, the right to impose your will and subject other people. It is the Cain principle. Cain believed in manifest destiny. Yeah, Nimrod believed in manifest destiny. They did not believe in freedom. They did not believe in liberty. They believed that they had the right to impose their will on their brothers.
and were willing to kill in order to impose that will. That is completely the antithesis of Christ, of John the Baptist, who talks about charity and sharing and loving and forgiving. But Christians today are not following Christ. They are not doing what Christ says. And they don't see the external reality of their betrayal of the Spirit of Christ. Their rejection of the Spirit of Christ. Well, they go to the churches and they use His name, but they're really taking it in vain. Because they are doing absolutely the opposite of what Christ said there. In fact, they are the workers of iniquity. Well, Jesus will tell, get ye from me. But they call themselves Christians. but And they they believe they're saved. But they cannot perceive the external reality of the fact that they live covetous lives. And therefore will not have eternal life. Because they are not even striving to keep the commandments. They have never repented of the very thing that Jesus said to repent of. John the Baptist said repent of. Herod was setting up a social welfare system that depended upon force. John the Baptist was out in the desert saying, No, you don't use force. You use love. You share. But yet, John the Baptist was a part of a corporate government. The people did not have to pay into the social welfare of the system John the Baptist was creating. Or the system that Jesus Christ was creating. The Corban of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, was a free will sacrifice. The sacrifice of Herod was compelled. And he could compel it because the people gave him the power to take from their neighbor and also from themselves to provide the welfare of society. Just before the show began, I heard a news report that there was a school that set up 3,000 crosses to represent the 3,000 children that are aborted every day. They were pro-lifers. Somebody came along and knocked down all those crosses and you know vandalized. They had permission, evidently, to set these up as a demonstration of their what they believed. You know, it was free speech. And somebody came along and knocked over all those crosses. They had volunteers out there at 6 o'clock in the morning putting them all back up again. But the reality is the ones who were knocking them down are supposedly pro-choice. But they're anti-free speech. They didn't, they didn't, they wanted to undo the, uh, the demonstration that this, the, the other opinion was putting up. Most of the people, I, I would say everyone that I've ever met that say they are pro-choice are also socialists. They don't believe in choice. They believe in force. So all socialists believe in force. Forcing their neighbor, whether rich or poor, to contribute to their welfare. They don't believe in choice. Choice is you get to say what you want to say. You get to give what you want to give. And we learn to live together. And we allow you the right to choose. Do you want to support this program? I mean, all the pro-choicers want to force you to pay for their abortions. 
They they want to put it on the tax rolls that they can force money out of your pocket to pay for their abortion. That's not pro-choice. If you're pro-choice, you just want to be able to pay for your own abortion. You you can solicit funds, ask people. That's free speech. Will you support my abortion? Will you pay for my abortion? But you can't force people to pay for your abortion. See, so pro-choicers are not pro-choice. They don't see that. You know, that's just basic. I mean, that's just, it's just like math. I mean, you, you are making me pay for your abortion. You don't believe in pro-choice. You're not in favor of choice. You're in favor of force. John the Baptist was in favor of choice. John the Baptist was pro-choice. Not pro-choice to commit an abortion. He thought that was wrong. But he was, he believed in the right to choose who you're going to donate to, who, what you're going to pay for, and what you're not going to pay for. He wanted that choice to be yours. Of course, he wanted you to choose righteously. But he wasn't out there forcing you to do it. I mean, you want to see how quickly the abortion numbers go down when you actually believe in pro-choice? When you believe that people have a right to choose whether or not? Because I can guarantee you, all those people claim clamoring for pro-choice, they're not going to pay for those 3,000 abortions a day. They're not going to pay for that. How many abortions are paid for by the people who get them? The vast majority of abortions are paid for by government, which meant they're paid for by your neighbor. You're forced to pay for those. If you actually believed in pro-choice, that would not exist. When that didn't exist, the number of abortions would go down. See, I mean, it's just, it's just math. It's just it's just simple observation, but. They can't see that external reality. They believe you have to provide them. They believe they have a right to health care at your expense. That's covetousness. They believe they have a right to an education at your expense. That's covetousness. That's the external reality of what they believe. But they don't see that. They think they have a right to it. You, you, you can talk to your blue in the face and they just won't see it. They think it's okay. They'll, they'll even call themselves Christians. Although now, even being called a Christian is, is falling out of favor uh, with a lot of people. But all those people out there who claim that they are Christians, you can't be a part of socialism. You can't be asking the government to take from your neighbor so you can have free education. If you're doing that, you're not following Christ. If you're asking the applying, praying to the government to provide for your parents, you're you're not following Christ. You're coveting your neighbor's goods because that's where the government gets the power to do that. Or say they don't take from your neighbor, they're taking from your children and your grandchildren. So you're cursing them with your debt. Because you don't want to take care of your parents. You don't, you don't want to pay for your education. You, you are so anti-freedom, you don't even want to pay for your abortion. So you see, they can't see the external reality. So the entire nation of people 
have this spirit of psychosis. They have a mental disorder that doesn't allow them to see the external reality. It impairs, just impairs their understanding of what's really going on. Our perception of external reality is directly affected by our willingness to perceive our internal reality. The fact that we are covetous. We are following a covetous spirit. If we are following a covetous spirit, we are not following Christ. We want free education. We want school at the expense of our neighbor. Because we know it's not free. I mean, it's just math. Somebody's paying the teacher. Somebody's paying the light bill. Man has been in a state of psychosis since he denied his responsibility of choosing to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did Adam do? He denied his responsibility. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. He was hiding when God came upon him. Why? Because he was denying the external reality of what he had done. He had entered a state of psychosis. And then when caught, he did not repent, but he blamed God for giving him the woman. You see, that's what we all do every day. We are all continuing in that psychosis. And therefore, we cannot see the external reality. So we cannot see destruction coming. You know, that, that, it just, it was astounding to me. For years I had heard about Manifest Destiny and how we had conquered all these poor Indian tribes. And I, I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee and, and all these, you know, literature on the idea of the atrocities of the white Europeans against Indians. Well, since the early days I've also read how, uh, those, many of those white Europeans, saved Indians at their at the risk of their own life and sometimes at the loss of their own life and defended them. So, in the reality, it goes both ways because there were Indians who were defending the whites and protecting them. Evil is where you find it. And the fact is, the evil was here already. Manifest destiny was here already amongst the five nations. Because in their treaty, in their, uh, which became their constitution, they promote manifest destiny. And so that's what would happen to them. Well, as you judge, so shall ye be judged. This was going to bring recompense upon them because they did not repent of manifest destiny for themselves, somebody came along and imposed it upon them. And, and that's, of course, you know, we, we see in Germany with uh, World War II, they were, they were following a certain spirit of control. They were, I mean, Nazis are national socialists, democratic socialists. That's what Nazi is. And so uh, their destruction was brought about by the fact that they coveted their neighbor's goods. This is why the Bible tells us in the New Testament, be careful you do not bite one another because you will be devoured. Basically, that's what they're telling you. 
If you bite one another, you will be devoured. Americans have never been biting one another more than they do today. So they will be devoured. They will be destroyed. Destruction's coming because you're following the spirit of destruction because you have not repented of your ways. You get baptized, sure. You have your altar calls, but you're not repenting of your covetous ways. And so therefore, you will be destroyed. You will be devoured. What impairs thought more than denial? So we've been in denial for a long time in America. And we've been going down a path that is leading us away from the kingdom of God. The righteousness of God. That's what we're supposed to be seeking. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And in the kingdom of God, you supported the government through free will offerings. You don't do that. So now, because you are slothful in the ways of God, you are under tribute. And you need to pay Caesar. You don't like paying Caesar? That's just too bad. You have to pay Caesar. What you need to do, though, if you want to be free, is follow another spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of forgiveness and giving. You must pay your tally of bricks, but you need to start taking care of one another. This is the message of Christ. You can deny it if you want, but then you will remain under psychosis. You will not see the truth. You will not see what's coming and you will not prepare accordingly. And one of the reasons your denial about yourself, about your own choices of the past, you, you go to a church or a religion or whatever it is in order to feel self-righteous. But you have not been righteous. Your parents have not been righteous. Your grandparents have not been righteous. They've been nice people. But they have been coveting their neighbor's goods. And they have not repented of that. And you need to repent of that. And start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what overcomes denial more than admission and confession? You have to admit that. That you, the, the world you live in is a product of your covetous hearts. Of your selfish hearts. Of your greedy hearts. And start going the other way. And many people are. You know, instead of sending their kids to the school, they're homeschooling. Which produces a more intelligent, more well-rounded child. And all this is... The statistics even coming out of the government state that. But people still want to send their kids to public school. And because it's easier, it's more convenient, uh, maybe because they, they won't be judged, maybe because they're afraid. They don't know how to do it themselves. Or they've, they've been convinced that it, they'll be better off, even though all the studies show that they are not. They have allowed themselves to be convinced because they have a psychosis. Because they have lost their way. They have an impaired perception of reality. That contact is lost with that external reality because of the fact they have accepted a lie about themselves, about the world. And they need to change. They need to turn around. That's repenting. Change their thinking. 
And the fact is, when you start to act upon that repentance, new perceptions will come. If you don't act, you will forget what God has revealed to you. You must come together with the purpose of serving others, sacrificing for others, because that sacrifice comes from the word, Hebrew word, to draw near. That's how you draw near, is that making that sacrifice. If you just repent in your head, I mean, if the prodigal son repented, but he didn't start on the way back with the intent to serve, his father would not have run out and met him before he even got home and killed the, planned to kill the fatted calf for a celebration. He hadn't even done any work yet. But he had repented and turned around and started heading back. So you have to change your thinking. You have to act upon that change in your mind because you have to become a doer of the Word. The truth shall set you free and the truth about yourself is the most important truth that you can receive. Now, I, I, I posted a, a page this week on meditation. And meditation, you know, I mean, you say the word and conjures up, you know, somebody in the lotus position, you know. Uh, meditation is simply thinking. And we'll talk more about that in this series. But uh, you can go and get a jump start by looking at preparing you and, and seeing what is written there. But uh, before we go that, we're going to go delve into the mind. The study of the spiritual journey in the world and other ways to become lost is what I entitled this. Because we're studying the spiritual journey by examining, trying to examine spiritual reality while looking through the branches of the tree of knowledge. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about Gustav, uh, or Carl Gustav Jung and uh, Rudolf Steiner who uh, were contemporaries of each other uh, to some degree. And uh, Carl was the uh, founder of uh, analytical psychology, known as uh, Jungian or Jungian uh, psychology. He emphasized understanding the psyche, you know, your mind, through exploring the world of dreams and art and mythology and religion and philosophies. Uh, some use of this term, uh, what they uh, called depth psychology, which refers to a psychoanalytical approach to, uh, to therapy, which uh, is always uh, considered with the unconscious mind. This unconscious mind is where he says that the problems are coming from. It's the things that you've kind of hidden away in your subconscious. And of course, why is something in your subconscious? Well, we go back to denial. You know, Adam was in denial. That was his fault. It had to be somebody else's fault. I couldn't take the blame. And how many of us do that? And then there's this other guy, uh, Steiner, Rudolf Joseph Lorenz Steiner. He's an Australian philosopher and uh, author, 
social reformer, architect of uh, what they called uh, a soderist thinking. Now, what, what, what does it mean to be an Asadarist? It sounds kind of spooky. Well, Asadarism uh, intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people uh, with a specialized knowledge or interest. Uh, that's what uh, Asadarism is. That, that it's you know, it's kind of like special knowledge. A little, little like Gnosticism in, in in the spirit of it. Well, the fact is, I believe that everybody can understand, but everybody won't understand. And the reason they won't understand is they're still in denial. Denial of what? The truth? The truth about themselves. If you won't see the truth about yourself, you cannot see the whole truth. And we're going to explore that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about this idea of national psychosis or worldwide psychosis, uh, where people are denying uh, the truth about the external reality, which is why you have so many different political parties out there trying to elect this guy or that guy. And you think, like, how could you even be voting for that person? Don't you see what's going on? Well, no, they don't. And you can try to show them, but the reality is that you need to see what you do not see. This is this is the important thing, is that you begin 
to make sure that you are perceiving reality. Because if you're in denial about the truth about yourself, you're not going to see reality. This is going to obstruct or impair your ability to see the external reality as it really is. And so anyway, we started talking about Carl Jung and uh, Rudolf Steiner. And uh, Steiner uh, supposedly kind of invented this esotericism, uh, which is mean the information that is intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people. Well, the reality is he may have kind of coined the word, but uh, Jesus had that same idea because when they asked him why he was speaking in parables all the time, he says uh, in Matthew thirteen eleven. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So right away you see that there is some information everybody is not given. But the kingdom of heaven was for everybody, if you would seek it. So what, again, what are some of the things that help us see reality as it really is? Well, we have to see ourselves as we really are. That's that's the primary in order to to do that, we have to see our 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 our, our failings, our faults, our inadequacies as an individual, our mistakes, our selfishness. We have to see our selfishness. And in order to see that, we have to see clearly about ourselves. We have to forgive others because you can't be forgiven if you don't give. You know, in Luke six thirty eight, it says, "Give, and it shall be given unto you." Which takes us back to, if you believe in manifest destiny, as the Indians did, then they will be subject to manifest destiny of someone else. You know, it's the red button. You push the red button so that you will be enriched and somebody somewhere will die. After you push that button and you get your money, they take that box and they give it to somebody else who will have a choice to push the red button. And if they push the red button... Assumedly, that's the way the story implies, you will die. <laughs> so, what you judge for others, you shall receive. So, if you believe that it's okay to take away from your neighbor to get what you want, then it's okay for your neighbor to take away from you to get what he wants. And you've got more neighbors than you can imagine. And they all want to take away from you. The zombie apocalypse is upon you. So, anyway, Luke... 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together. And running over shall men give into your bosom for the same measure that ye meet with all. It shall be measured to you again. So, yeah, the Indians believed in manifest destiny and conquered tribe after tribe that had to submit to their way, their peace. And while I think that maybe the prophets who originally brought this message to them had a purer intent than the men who interpreted the wampum beads and came up with that constitution, the reality is the spirit that was in them was one of covetous. They moved in on other tribe to get access to their hunting grounds. 
and to conquer them. Once they became this united front, they began to conquer others. And we see the same thing with Israel when they finally said, we want to have a king. We want to have somebody who can decide and fight our battles for us. And then they got Saul, and then Saul had them killing people that they weren't even supposed to be fighting. And But Saul was the tip of the iceberg because it got way worse with subsequent kings. I mean, David was a little bit of a rollback to the way, you know, kind of a return to the republic. But even he was corrupted by the power the people gave him. The power was to be in the hands of the people. And the only way that is, is that if all the support for the government is by free will offering. Because if it's not a free will offering, if they can take from you, if they have the power to take from you, you're not living in a free country anymore. And and that's just the basics. Uh, there were other things that uh, Steiner kind of came up with. You know, he had a lot of practical endeavors. And, uh, uh, you know, there, this is connected to theosophy and... and uh, a lot of other ideas. He's a very spiritually minded individual. Was he right all the time? No. Uh, mostly where uh, Steiner went wrong was the people who follow Steiner were all over the place and had all kinds of ideas. Because not everybody can see that external reality. And so they take bits and pieces that anybody produces and they and, and they impose it upon their own vision of external reality. I, I never met Steiner, uh, but he has a lot of good ideas. We'll look at a couple of quotes from him. But he also in, included, he created the what they call the Waldorf schools, which have a lot of good ideas in them. Uh, they're usually private schools, although now in England they are actually creating public schools that are Waldorf schools. They actually have public schools that are using the Waldorf uh, approach to education. And, you know, that that's kind of like crazy uh, because public schools are supported by forced offerings, which is really completely contrary to what Steiner would have wanted because uh, the Waldorf schools are normally... Uh, you know, tuition-paid schools. And some people don't have to pay full tuition because they ha- sometimes have charitable uh, ways in which if you can't afford the whole tuition, they, they, they will make allowances. Uh, he also believed in kind of biodynamic agriculture uh, and uh, anthroposophical uh, uh, medicine. Uh, he had a lot of different ideas. And we're not going to explore all those, but this is the fact that people are coming up with these uh, uh, anthroposophy, uh, anthroposophy, <laughs> depending on how you want to pronounce it, it, is a philosophy founded by Steiner and it postulates the existence of an objective, intellectually comprehensible spiritual world that is accessible by direct experience through inner development. So anyway... And that, of course, where you get the theosophy societies and all kinds of spiritism and all kinds of stuff. And these are all the people that come in after him and start uh, imposing their own ideas. you got to remember that some of these guys are just men trying to figure out 
the truth in reality. And they they may uncover certain aspects or certain understandings, uh, you know, uh, of the world around them that is different than what everybody else is. And, but then other people come along and uh, begin to impose... Uh, they take their work and they, they begin to impose it with their own psychosis upon others. And uh, this is where you start getting into real trouble. And of course, an example of that is Christianity. You know, what we what is posing as modern Christianity. Uh, and this has been going on for more than a thousand years. Because, I mean, right even with Constantine, where supposedly everybody was had to become Christian in Milan, they all got baptized, but they didn't all repent and get baptized. And so they began to impose their view of Christianity on other people. And and out of that that tyranny of imposing Christianity came uh it wasn't extensively uh imposed as it was during the Inquisition. But there was a prejudice right away. Uh, you had uh, bishops chosen in Milan, like Ambrose, appearing in front of the uh, Roman Senate, calling for anybody who did not accept their version of Christianity to be persecuted, which is totally the antithesis of Christ. But it was coming in the name of Christ, but it not really, just the you know the word Christos not actually the spirit of Christ that's why it's very important when you start playing the name game you say the name of God is Yahweh and the name of Jesus is Yeshua because there was no J and all this kind of stuff his name is not the alphabet arranged in a particular order his name is his character that's his identity don't lose track of that because as soon as you start going over to the name game, you are unmooring the principles of Christ and God from who they really were. And you're beginning to, that's idolatry, you're beginning to worship the letters rather than the spirit. And you're you're going to have a psychotic event. <laughs> you're going to start believing in the symbol rather than what it's supposed to represent. Because the name Yeshua just represents, it's a symbol. It's a group of symbols lined up in a particular order that spells out a name that identifies Yeshua, Jesus. But it's not his spirit. His spirit is what you want to become a part of and become a part of your life. So anyway, I said we'd look at a few quotes of uh, Rudolf Steiner. Uh, he says, Love starts when we push aside our ego and make room for someone else. Now, that, that he's expressing something, but what did Christ say? You know, do you, do you love when you, you have to, if you want life more abundant, love more abundant, you have to lay down your life. And, and that's, that's what he's saying. That's lay down your ego. You know, set your ego aside. What you want aside. Your special interest aside. And allow for somebody else. 
I mean, that's sacrifice. Sacrificing your ego, your I, your comfort for somebody else. Loving somebody else as much as you love yourself. You see, when you love yourself more than somebody else, you don't set aside your ego. So he's expressing a particular idea here that pre-existed Steiner and existed in Christ. And so now the question is, are you sacrificing your ego the benefits you could have at the expense of your neighbor? Are you learning? Are you gathering together so you do not have to depend upon those benefactors who exercise authority? Because Christ said we weren't to do that. So if you're depending upon men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to take care of your parents, to educate your children, to provide you with a fire department, to provide you with protection, then you're not following Christ. And one of the ways to get to the point where you're actually following Christ is to try to provide these things for others. And then God can come in. You see, that's you coming to serve like the prodigal son. You you want to be free. You have to set others free. That's the process. Free of your greed. Free of your avarice. But also free from the greed and avarice of others. So you have to come together to become the benefactors who do not exercise authority, but exercise love. That's required. When you do that, you will begin to develop a better perception of your external reality. But in order to do that, you have to take a look at your internal reality. Steiner also said, You will not be a good teacher if you focus only on what you do and not upon who you are. You know, he often said he wasn't a teacher. He just shared his experiences with others. Whether they learn or not, that's up to them. And of course, that's kind of the spirit of Christ. I'm not going to, I'm not equating Steiner with Christ. But he's looking at certain things and he happens to have an effect in the world today. And so we're going to take a look at him. But always through the filter of Christ. He he goes on to say, I do not teach. I relate my own inner experience. So he's sharing with others. So anyway, uh, we may return to those characters eventually. Uh, but... Let's go back to this idea of name game and words. And words are symbols of ideas. And that's why I was reading some of these modern philosophers and some of their ideas and some of their approaches and seeing uh, how it relates to what Christ was really doing. Because Christ was showing us a way. A way to think, a way to act, a way to live. And most Christians today are not thinking like Christ. And they're not... Uh, they're not living like Christ in the early church. Uh, their korbanos is just token charity. You know, they they tithe so they could build big buildings and uh, have a great band and a big screen TV. They don't take care of the needs of one another. They go to benefactors who exercise authority to take care of the actual social welfare needs. Remember, Christianity... Uh, or religion was defined as the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man and your duty to your fellow man is to love him as yourself. So if he has a true need, you need to provide 
him like a good Samaritan with whatever he truly needs. And you need to do it in in an orderly and consistent fashion. But we don't do that. We don't do it in our churches. We do it with men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And and most people cannot even see that that's a possibility, that we could do this. But the truth is, with many people, you cannot do this because they are too selfish. And they should be under tribute. They should be in bondage. They should have masters who uh, take and take and take and take because they have followed the spirit of Cain, the spirit of Nimrod. And so you have to repent of that. And that's that's the beauty of seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You do not have to wait for everybody else to begin to do what's right. You have to start doing what's right. And then you can start gathering with others who say they are trying to do what's right. And then you will find out if they're really trying to do what's right. And as your flame of understanding begins to glow and you begin to see yourself and begin to repent daily of what you've become and put that repentance into action by taking care of one another through you know, local congregations gathering together through a network of ministers, which is what the early church was doing, providing all the social welfare, then you will start to see. Now, you may think you see things now, but you don't see anything compared to what you will see if you actually follow that spirit of Christ. Because this is what Christ was teaching. This is what John the Baptist was teaching. But it's not what you're hearing in your modern churches. Your churches are saying, just believe in this image of Christ that I said is here. They're saying, this is the image of Christ that I want you to believe in. He's a nice guy and he's really sweet and he was God and he was all these things. But I don't want you to actually repent. (laughs) I don't want you to actually change your ways and start doing what makes the Word of God to effect. See, this is what we're trying to do. We need to repent. And make the word of God to effect. Which means we need to sacrifice for one another. We need to lay down a portion of our life daily for somebody else who who probably can't directly benefit us. This is the way of Christ. This is the way that will open your eyes. If you don't want to see this, you will not see other things that are more important. The dangers coming, what to do about it. You you will imagine all sorts of things. This is not about fear. This is about loving the truth. So words are symbols of ideas and special symbols can be used to understand and comprehend self. And this is what, you know, I mean, you go back to the time of Christ and... <coughs> <coughs> Uh, you go back to the ancient times, there's always somebody drawing the symbols and you go back to the, the, the Iroquois constitution. It was all symbols. It wasn't written in words. It was written in symbols. And those symbols were beaded together on what, like I said, what was called wampum. And so they look at those symbols and this is what they, they mean. And the fact is, it was almost immediately what the original author of this system which was actually an Indian by the name, uh, well, there's several pronunciations, kind of Dagawandi 
and his uh, tr chief prophet Hiawatha. And not specifically the Hiawatha in the poem, because he took that name from this uh, this Indian who was supposedly, according to legend, promoting this constitution. But we don't have an original written constitution. We have, you know, the symbols that have come down, and people interpret those symbols. And I'm suspecting that some of that interpretation brought in ideas like manifest destiny. But the fact is, the Indians were following that spirit. And so, that is the spirit that overcame them. They were biting the tribes next to them, oppressing the tribes next to them, over, taking over their hunting grounds. And therefore, their hunting grounds were taken over. This is a principle that goes throughout the history of mankind. That if, as you judge, so shall ye be judged. That if you want to take a bite out of one another, you will be devoured. And today, never before in the history of America have people wanted to take a bite out of one another more. When the, the first settlers to Jamestown and Plymouth came, they wanted to do that, take a bite out of one another. They want from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. That was a socialist state they set up in both of those places. A socialist system with a common storehouse. And they starved every year. Now we've returned to that system. You know, we got over 45,000 people on food stamps. I think it's over 50,000 now, actually, um, in America. Actually, it's even higher than that. That number's way. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I can't remember what, what is it, what is the percentage now? <laughs> uh, vast number of people. Are on these food stamps and welfare, and uh, uh, a very high percentage. I think it's like forty percent or something in America. Forty-five percent, maybe that's it. A percentage. Um, that's people coveting their neighbors, the food on their neighbor's table, and taking a bite out of their neighbor. When you bite that free cheese. <laughs> You're biting your neighbor because that was taken from him. And because of that, you will be devoured. Uh, and there's nothing I can do about it except for bear witness that you're in a state of psychosis thinking that you're going to get away with this. That you're going to get free education and free health care, free welfare, free all these free things. You will be destroyed and devoured and eaten up. And I don't have to do anything about it uh, to make it come about. I don't, I don't have to be angry with the people who take from me. Or take from my family or take from my community. As a matter of fact, I need to avoid being angry with them. I need to fast from judging them. And this would kind of... The whole process of meditation that we're going to talk about in greater depth probably in the third show today um, is all about. It's about fasting from judgment. Judgment of yourself, judgment of others. See, what's happened is you've been traumatized by sin. You've been uh, violated by other people who have, who have oppressed you, have taken from you, spanked you, whipped you. 
and uh, oppressed you, frightened you, intimidated you, uh, embarrassed you. And it'd be school teachers, parents, cousins. I mean, obviously we see it when somebody molests a child. That it it alters that child's growth and potential for their entire life sometimes. Because of the abuse. And, and it was very traumatic. And they found it difficult to forgive. If they forgive, they can be healed. But it's the small traumas. Unjustly being scolded. Unjustly being spanked. Uh, or just being spanked in anger. You know, with it by the spirit of impatience. Intolerance. Not the spirit of love. You know, Christ didn't beat up his apostles. I mean, even when he told Peter, you know, you're, you know, Peter, you arrogant son of a gun. <laughs> you're going to deny me three times today. Why did he tell him that? It, he knew that he was going to deny him. He says, you're going to deny me three times. He says, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray for you in that hour. Pray for him to do what? To admit his denial. And why did he say this? Because the apostles had to forgive Judas Iscariot. That's what they had to do. And Judas actually became feeling so guilty about what he did. He came and he took the 30 pieces of silver and he was giving them back to the Pharisees. And they said, uh, he says, it's not lawful for us to put this 30 pieces of silver in the Corbin. That's actually what they said, in the Corbin. But they don't translate it Corbin there. They they translate it treasury. That it wasn't lawful to put it in the Corbanos, the, in the funds that are to take care of the uh, needy of society. See that we don't we have been totally deceived. If you want to see the reality of what it means to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it means you have to stop looking to the benefactors who exercise authority and start looking to with patience and love to one another. And give people the freedom to choose to help you out or not help you out. Because when you start doing that that will lead to your freedom. Just the same as biting one another has led to your bondage. It's, it's, it's simple physics, but it's spiritual physics. And we're going to talk more about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Yeah, they, uh, it's like 45 million people that are on food stamps today. But the reality is there's a lot more people that are on the government dole than just simply on food stamps. Um, and I'm, I'm not belittling the people that are, have the need. 
I understand the people that have the need, but the fact is, is you're fulfilling that need by coveting your neighbor's goods. And so that's going to bring about uh, a judgment upon you that is just built into the spiritual laws of reality. And this is what... Uh, he didn't. He didn't talk about it much because he didn't see it as much back then. Uh, but what Steiner is saying is that there's an actual uh, physical. You know, I talk about uh, spiritual DNA. That everything in the beginning was first spiritual. And what uh, what sorcery is is that you try to change the physical and alter the spiritual reality, and that's not the way it works. You alter the spiritual reality. And the physical conforms to that spiritual reality. This is this is just this is the uh, intelligent design that is going on all the time because that spirit is the intelligence. And if you follow the spirit of covetousness, uh, you will be devoured. If you uh, follow the spirit of selfishness, where you don't covet your neighbor's goods, but you covet your own, you don't want to share, then you will find yourself in a situation where others will not share with you when you need help. You see, these are spiritual choices that you make daily. And so, even though you may not be on food stamps, you may send your kids to public school. You may depend upon the local uh, tax-supported fire department. Now, I'm not saying these things are bad. I'm saying that these things are creating ripples in your reality that will bring about an effect, cause and effect universe. If you follow a certain spirit in your life, it will change the reality of your life. You want to see instantaneous healing? You want to see uh, where the dead rise and they're not zombies? You want to know the cure for being a zombie? <laughs> you know, I mean, what, what was it in the, the, the movie... Um, uh, Z World, or was that what it was? Anyway, the the uh, the zombies. Uh, that's where the, all the zombies walk really fast, run. I mean, they they're extremely fast, uh, which is instead of the you know the zombies are dragging, you know their their leg and hardly moving. You know, the in that one they were really fast, and there was a scene in there. And uh, uh, I mean, they scrapped that almost that whole movie and refilmed it and everything because the first version of it was so terrible, but. There was a scene in there where there was an Israeli woman who was standing guard uh, with this guy who was walking around there in the you know the star of the show, and uh, I spotted her right away when she first came in the scene that she was somehow that that woman was important because I could see that she had a screen presence, but she got bit by the zombie, a zombie. And it said like 23 seconds and she's going to be a zombie. <laughs> it was a, it was a fast moving virus to say the least. And the guy pulls out his machete or knife or something and cuts her arm off. Just slices it off. She's in the rest of the movie. And uh, that saves her life. Because he cut off the part that got bitten before the virus could move up, the circulation of the virus can move up into the body and get into the brain. And so he cut it off. And that reminded me of what Christ says. If, you're, if your right hand is an occasion of sin, you're better off cutting it off. 
So now, if you're bit by the zombie virus, which is the desire to take from your neighbor, what's the cure? <laughs> we gotta, we gotta cut off that thing. We have to cut off the flow of the blood of the zombie in you. So when somebody takes from you unjustly, you have to forgive them. You have to run after and give them more. <laughs> Give them back what they have given you, you know, or taken from you. Uh, this is the cure from becoming a zombie. Because if you resent the government from taking from you, if you hate the government, if you shake your fist at the government from taking from you, because that's really just your neighbors taking from you. If you hate your neighbor now, because the government is just the instrument. It's the spiritual instrument of mankind today in America, in the world, in whether you're in Denmark or Australia, the government you are the byproduct of the spirit of your neighbor. So if you hate the government, you hate your neighbor. If if you think the government is your enemy, then you hate your enemy if you hate the government. You're supposed to love your enemy. You're supposed to do good to those who hurt you, to violate you. This is this is the cure. This is how you are set free. You you alter the course of a spiritual reality. Because see, they, they bite you, then you bite them. I mean, you, we see this over and over again. Werewolf. Werewolf bite you, you become a werewolf. Uh, a vampire bite you, you become a vampire. You know, zombie bites you, you become a zombie. How do you alter that? Forgive them. They know not what they do. And something changes spiritually where you will not fall to their psychosis. You will see what they cannot see. Your eyes will be restored. Your heart will grow in freedom. As you lay down your life for His way, His way is a way of forgiveness and giving and loving your enemy. You've changed the equation. You've stepped outside of their statistics. You know, I, I went to look up where I misspoke and said 45,000. I mean, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I just wasn't even thinking about what I was saying on food stamps. It's like 45 million. But even more socialists are found in public schools because all public education is socialism. It's It's communism. All these social benefits, uh, that's, that's taking from your neighbor. Now, where I was going to take this in, the, in this last part of this message uh, was that uh, if you go back into ancient... Th- this, this is repeated over and over again throughout the history of mankind from Nimrod, from Cain, all the way up to the present day. See, everybody today is they're trying to elect a new Nimrod. If we get the right Nimrod elected, everything will be okay. No, you're still within a circle of unrighteousness. Sanskrit had a term, you know, one of the oldest languages, uh, had a term uh, that we see in their uh, history, uh, mandala, uh, which is basically a circle. And a spiral, any kind of spiral, is a circle. But it's either ascending or descending. And uh, 
it, it, it appears all over, it appears in early Christian uh, art, is this circle surrounding things. Because, uh, basically, because what goes around comes around. If If you resent something, you develop a relationship with it. And you create a circle of energy between you and that thing that you resent. Resentment is a form of worship. It's a love-hate relationship. But it's a relationship. You only want a relationship with God. God is a giver of life. And your judgment will come, but it's built into the system. And it comes because you keep rejecting life. You're taking life. You're following the ways of evil. If you're taking free education and free health care and having somebody take care of your parents and all this kind of stuff, you would be better off going into the system and working daily to get your parents off of welfare. Social Security is welfare because Social Security is bankrupt. Yeah, you paid in, but the only way they're paying anything out is they're taking from the future of your children and your grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren, which is why through your covetous practice you are cursing your children. There are archetypes uh, to the physical world of man. I mean, we can say there's, there's these types of people. And we can see them repeated over and over again. When we see the course of events in history, there are types of events where society begins to go a particular way. They become more socialist or less socialist. When, you know, uh, uh, John Smith said, uh, if you don't work, you don't eat, which he's just quoting the Bible, the colony took a, a change. Their archetype changed. They began to go another way. And this is what made America great. Now we don't do that. Now we go back to the way that was bringing about cannibalism. And one of the reasons they brought in the constitution of the five tribes or five nations, which eventually became six nations, and other nations were just devoured up, conquered. But one of the reasons they did this is to end cannibalism. So, you know, we had this idea that everything was peaceful and everybody was in commune with nature and all this kind of stuff before the white man came. Well, the reality, they were eating each other. They were killing each other. Their population was, you know, the game was hard to find at times. There were so many Indians. And disease came and wiped them out. And, you know, we're blamed for that disease. But why were they susceptible to that disease? Because of spiritual choices. They make, the Europeans made, everybody's making, it doesn't, race is, is irrelevant in this. The laws of nature are first spiritual. And when you make spiritual choices, you create a cycle that will manifest itself in the physical realm. There are other symbols and, uh, that express these uh, archetypes uh, in creation. And just like I said, you know, words are symbols of ideas. A group of letters are a symbol of idea. These other symbols are around. And and we have symbols coming out of Christianity now. You know, the cross. There's a symbol. 
And they're supposedly representing an idea. You know, the the key row, which we see is kind of a PX uh, that you see, and it was used by crusaders and used by the Catholic Church. It's a symbol. It's supposed to be the first two letters of Christ, which is not Jesus' name, Yeshua's name. It's It's a title, the Messiah, the Anointed, the King. But you're not seeking his kingdom if you're not seeking ways to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. If you want to be free, you have to do that. There's no other way to freedom other than to follow that way that Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, laid down for us. We have to follow that way. Matthew twenty four twenty four says... For there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, that shall show great signs. You know, 10,000 people accepted Jesus at our deal. And we all got really emotional. But we all went home still coveting our neighbor's goods through the agency of men who call themselves benefactors, but really are just exercising authority one over the other and taking from our neighbor's. Those people have not really accepted Jesus Christ at all. They got emotionally charged up and they got excited. And they may have seen something in Christ that they wanted to get closer to. But if you want to get closer to Him, you want to be drawn to Christ and to Christ in you, then you must gather together with the Spirit of Christ, which means to come together to serve, to take care of one another. Not just token charity, because you don't want just token salvation. You want real salvation, so you have to have real charity. You have to really care about one another. You have to really follow Christ. You have to really enter into a relationship with Him. If you're going to put on the full armor of God. These people, these modern Christians, do great signs and wonders. That if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect and... And the fact is, that's what we're seeing, is some people are waking up in spite of this. Raised up in these religions and still waking up. But unfortunately, they often find themselves isolated because they look around and nobody else wants to wake up. They try to tell people, look look what I'm seeing here. We shouldn't be doing this. And they can't see it. Why? Psychosis. They cannot grasp the reality around them. What you need to do is become a brighter light. You need to grasp that reality. You need to become a part of a gathering. A free assembly. That actually lays down its life daily. Sacrificing for one another. One of our ministers was just in a tornado area. There were buildings around him that were flattened. Trees knocked down. Everything. But he came through it okay. And everybody he knows, they're all out there with chainsaws yesterday. Clearing the roads and... And, and gathering together and fixing things because there is some of that Spirit of Christ still around. But was he mysteriously protected? I tell you, just following the way a little bit could bring huge amount of protection. Now, you can't do it for the protection. You must do it for love of one another. Love of the nature of the Christ, the anointing of the way. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as 
the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And whosoever, or, or wheresoever, the carcass is. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood quotes in the Bible. The carcass is. There will the eagles be gathered together. So, what does that mean? Because some don't use that word carcass as carcass. They, they translate it different ways. But in the very next verse, he starts talking about immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And now these things will all manifest themselves into a physical reality. But you know what Jesus is really trying to tell you? He's laying out the the physics, the spiritual physics of the universe. That's what he's doing. He's actually telling you the spiritual physics of the universe. That that spiritual DNA that I was talking about. That I mean, even if you go back to the um, uh, first words in the Bible, uh, you know, Genesis one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's setting a scene here. God, this thing, spirit, God, whatever. You know, we use that term. And the the actual God of all. The ruling judge of all. Ruling judge. That's what the word God means. The ruling judge of all created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are a lot of lesser judges that are now using the dominion that God gave them to create or recreate things. And they're spoiling the earth. But anyway, the second verse goes on to say, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So that all form originally came from him. That genetics of God, that DNA of God, that physics of God is built into the system that God created. He gave it form. And that's what they're talking about here. They're not trying to give you a chronology of the actual events of the day. They're trying to tell you the spiritual pattern of creation. What goes around comes around. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. That it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now he's actually explaining to you, the author is explaining you to you the physics of the universe. This division, the this, uh, this separation is absolutely important. It's part of the this what we call the string theory and all this kind of stuff uh, that makes our reality a reality. And as we make choices in the spiritual realm, they are going to be fulfilled in the physical realm. If we choose to bite one another, we will be bitten. And we will become like those who bite. We will become zombies too. And we will be devoured. Devoured by ourselves and devoured by our neighbors and devoured by governments. If you want to change that, you have to change your thinking. From the covetous thinking 
the slothful thinking that you've been following and start following the ways of Christ, which is a way of service and sacrifice and forgiveness. And everything will change. Raising your children. uh, Interacting with your neighbors. Everything has to be filtered through the Spirit of Christ in you. And then your psychosis will diminish and you will get a better and better grasp of reality around you. You know, it goes on in verse 6, And God said, uh, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. He goes on, he starts repeating all this again later in Genesis 14. Because all creation has levels to it. The spiritual laws of physics... The, the spiritual laws is what created the physics, the physical laws that we say govern the universe. It was the spiritual laws that actually do this. Once you begin to understand that and see that, and there's just no way I can explain it to you so that you can see it because you have to see things spiritually. Right now, you're, you're concerned about what you're going to receive tomorrow and how you're going to take care of yourself tomorrow, how you're going to take care of yourself today. And you're worried about all these things. And what you really need to worry about is your spiritual choices. And those spiritual choices have to be immersed in the waters of righteousness, which is forgiveness and giving. You're, you're raised up in a taking society. You suck the life out of your mother and your father and you suck the life out of your neighbors and you, and you, you've remained this selfish individual all your life. And now you have children, you have family, you have neighbors and you're still sucking the life out of them. Now you have to give back. You have to start giving of your life. You have to put away the things, the sucking nature of a child and start giving that life back to others in a righteous way, in a way that strengthens them. This will begin to turn on the light and you will begin to see things as they really are. And this is why you come together. You don't come together because you found a bunch of people that are saints. If you found a bunch of people are saints, why would they want you to be gathering with them? Because you're no saint. You gather together so that you can practice the charity of Christ instead of the uh, the the uh, covetous practices of the world. You're trying to alter the equation by repenting and allowing God to change your spirit. To His Spirit. So that you can actually say, I I have come in the name of Christ. Because right now, most of the ministers I see out there are not coming in the name, character of Christ. But, 
until then, until they do, until we all do, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.